Today's message is very simple. So simple that some of you would probably have, will be able to remember the things that I am about to share with you concerning the Holy Spirit. Three things to know about staying in the flow of God's direction. The cause why we assume the presence of God. The gift of discernment to recognize God's presence is not present, or presence is not present in your life. Learning the two most important truths about the Holy Spirit. Let us begin with the first one. Four causes why we assume Jesus is present. Number one, routine. We have gotten into a routine that it is dangerous. And the reason routine is dangerous is because routine makes it easy to move on without Jesus. Because we get in a routine. So therefore, that is one of the causes we assume that the presence of God is present, but He is not present. Because we have just continued to live in a routine. The second thing, familiarity with the territory. Familiarity can be interpreted as evidence of the special presence of God. And the reason for that is because the presumptions of memories of His presence and the expectations of His presence that is to come makes us think God is present in our life. But he isn't. Notice, we have to come to the understanding that all special manifestations of God's presence comes to an end. 20 years ago, close to 20 years ago, God moved powerfully in this service. And I have to admit and confess to you that I've been waiting for it to come the same way, and it has not come. And the reason is because of the fact God has, been taught, has taught me that some of things that he does comes to an end because he has something fresh and new that he has in store for us. And so therefore, we need to come to the understanding that the special manifestations of God's presence comes to an end. He's taught me that. I, one day I was here. One day I was in my prayer time, and I wept before the Lord. I was weeping before the Lord and weeping and weeping and crying and asking God for mercy, asking Him to allow me to draw closer to Him, not Him to me, but me to, towards Him. Surprisingly, I found myself so engaged in that moment of intercession, if you want to call it. I, I don't know what to call it. All I know is I was just praying. That all of a sudden, I begin to laugh. I'm telling you, I have never laughed so much in my entire life. I began to giggle. And at first, I felt that it was very disrespectful in the presence of God. But then something could not stop me from continuing to go from giggling to laughter. So much so that it filled the entire room that I was in that I just laughed and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. I realized then 
You never put God in a box. I realized then that he does what he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and when he wants to do it. But you see, familiarity with the past, the presumptions of the memories of our past, and of our past sometimes confuses us to think that he is present in our lives, and he is not. The other one, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness in a certain way, sometimes we have this concept that self-righteousness, we already have this image of what self-righteousness is. But self-righteousness is running ahead because we don't give God or we don't give the Lord time to speak. Because we don't shut up. We don't shut up to allow Him to speak. Have you ever been around someone that just talks and talks and talks and you want to get a word in there and he just talks and the arrogance is is that he likes he or she likes to hear themselves talk so much so they just keep talking. Sometimes God can't even cannot get a word in because we're so busy talking to him. We're so busy trying to tell him how my life should run. We're so busy trying to tell him what he's doing wrong. So routine, familiarity, and self-righteousness. The last one really hurts. Smugness. You know what smugness is? It's a believer that feels self-satisfied and doesn't need anything from God. Satisfied with everything. Just everything is going fine. Just I don't need God. I just am doing him a favor. Showing up. All these things causes us to assume that the presence of God is in our lives. But listen, the thing, second thing, the gift of discernment is to recognize God's presence is not present in your life. We need the gift of discernment to be able to flow in, the, in God's direction for 2016. But there's been a disproportion of the understanding of the gift of discernment. For some apparent reason, we think that the gift of discernment is only to have the ability to discern demonic activity. But I'm here to tell you that the primary reason for the gift of discernment is so that you can recognize the genuine presence of God in your life. The gift of discernment will immediately tell you if you are not where you should be in Christ Jesus. It's not to tell you if there's demonic activity at your aunt's house or in your workplace you know it doesn't take discernment to know that when you work with a bunch of people that don't know Jesus it doesn't take much discernment for that but it does take discernment to know if Jesus if the Holy Spirit is alive in you (laughs) If it's really working inside you and it's really leading you 
to enrich your relationship with him. That's what it takes for the gift of discernment. You see, it takes a higher level to recognize the real, genuine presence of God than to detect the counterfeit. We all know if Jesus is very alive in us. We know when there's something not going right and there's a hunger stirring inside you. You know down deep in your heart that these things just stir you up and you begin to say, you know what, this is just not, there's, not, there's something wrong in my relationship with the Lord. And it's not about condemnation. It's about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit to be able to work, continue to do the work that it promised to do. He that hath begun a good work in you will complete it. But you have to discern that he is not present. He's not active. He's within, but he's not active. Something is happening inside your, your spirit that you're saying to yourself, I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. There's got to be more to this than just coming to church and waking up every morning and going to work and just getting disappointed with all the news that I'm hearing about. Why is there not that excitement in my heart? Why can I get up, get up in the morning and say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I believe that's where Robin Williams got good morning Vietnam. We need to be excited that the Spirit of the Lord is, is within us in such a beautiful and powerful way that it, we don't have to wait to come to church. We have church already in our, whole, in our own lives. Notice the two most important truths about the Holy Spirit. Number one, knowing the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It refers to the actions that hinder the Holy Spirit from being what He could be in us. A knowledge that the Holy Spirit is grieving when we continue doing actions that hinder the Holy Spirit to work in us. To do the work that it is designed to do to bring transformation in our lives. You know, God has a way of setting me up before I preach. He always sets me up. I should already know that he's going to set me up before I preach about anything that God lays on my heart. Wednesday, I had to go to one of the banks and transfer money to, an, to my other bank. Hallelujah, I got so much money, I have two banks. Now, one of the banks I have, I don't like going there because they've done turned their whole banking system into these slot machines. Excuse me, these, uh, these machines that you put your card in. They don't seem to realize I do not trust anyone unless I see them eye to eye. 
Don't get me in there and stick that card in there because I come from a generation that has yet to find out who assassinated President Kennedy. So much so that they sealed it up and they're not going to open it until we die. I'm the type of, I come from a generation we don't trust the government. Do you think I'm going to trust that machine? There is no way. And so therefore I went in there and I had to go in there to take all my pile of money out of there and put it in the other bank. You say, well, brother, why do you have two banks? Well, one bank takes care of all the house expenses, so when it comes time for taxes and I need to find something, it's all there. The other one is where my wife puts all her money and I get to spend it the way I want to. And so therefore, I walk in there dreading it. I'm already dreading walking in there. I walk in there and they got three of those machines. And that young person says to me, may I help you, sir? I said, yes, ma'am, but you can, but them machines can't. I already started with a bad attitude. They said, well, sir, you're going to have to go around the corner, kind of like disenfranchisement, you know, like what you what discriminating against me or something. You have to go around the corner. I go around the corner. There's already three people ahead of me with one teller, two tellers. One is attending the line inside. The other one is attending the cars that are coming in and also switching off and attending some of us. So I get in line. I said, this is not going to be bad. It's only going to be just the person up there and two more people. I'm going to get out of here real fast. Little did I know you get that one customer that wants to do everything under the sun. So that one customer began to just take the time, and I said to myself, come on, man. And then I had a fella come behind me and said, how do you like this? Oh, that's all I needed. <laughs> we both started in on it. What's wrong with these people? Don't they understand we old folks have all the money? Them young people don't have anything, and this is the way they're treating us? The baby boomers have trillions of, of money. And they're on credit. We got cash. So therefore, we're, we're just going on of it. I mean, we're so riled up. We're ready to take matters into our hands. But there was a policeman standing at the end. I said, no, we ain't going to take that far. We're going to leave that alone. Finally, I get up there, and finally she says, sir, thank you for waiting. I didn't answer because I wasn't happy. Give me my money. Got it, put it in my pocket. The worst mistake that an employee can do is cross a person that is very frustrated. Worst thing. Worst thing. Poor young lady walks in front of me with a smile. And she says, sir, Merry Christmas. I hope you're going to have a nice holiday. Were we able to serve you? Oh, Holy Ghost, get off of me right now. I, I am not going to. I said, would you like to step into your office right now? Yes, sir. And I let her have it. I said, what kind of service is this? I tell you, you take our money faster than, you, than, you, than we can get it back from y'all. And I just went on, and that poor little girl just said, all I said was Merry Christmas. I left that bank 
walked out that door, and by the time I'm walking to the car, the Holy Spirit hit me. Boy, did it hurt. I mean, it hurt down here. And, and, and I ignored it just like some of you do. And I said, what were you praying about this morning, Joe? I said, well, well yeah, I was praying I'd fill me up with the Holy Spirit. Now, what did you think you just did over there? Well, I, 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 I don't know, Lord. I, it, it's their fault. I get in the car and I still turn it on. But I cannot move. So I turn it off. Get out of the car. Walk back into that bank. I'm telling you the honest truth. I'm telling, listen, I know why you're clapping because some of you don't do that. I know you don't. I get up and I walk back in there hoping she's not around. I walk in there and I look around for her and she, guess what? She's not around. So I'm going back out and the Lord says, eh, 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 eh. get back over there. Sit down right there. I go and sit down real quietly. I'm sitting down and I'm saying, but Lord, what if she went to lunch? You'll wait an hour for her now. But you're going to apologize to that young lady. And I sat there and I started praying, Lord, please don't let her go to lunch. Please don't let her go to lunch. The Lord made me sit there 15 minutes. Finally, the young girl comes up. Finally, I get up and I follow her. When she turns around, her eyes get big. She said, this man came in for the second round. God is my witness. I told her, ma'am, I apologize. I apologize. I should not have behaved that way. You're not at fault. You and all that are here are trying your best. I apologize. Just forgive me. She said, sir, it's just that we had complications in the back. And we had to pull people away. But next time, we promise to give you better service. I walked out of that bank. And I sat in the car and I cried. And I said, Lord, don't leave me, Holy Spirit. I don't want you to leave me. We have to have a knowledge of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. If you want direction from the Holy Spirit, you have to have a little respect for the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't have that respect, surely he won't be around to direct you. Second thing is, not only knowing the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, but developing a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. In other words, do not quench the Spirit. It refers to the actions that hinder the Holy Spirit from doing what He could do through you. And here it is. It's not one or the other. They overlap with each other. When you do not quench the Holy Spirit, 
then that means that the Holy Spirit is working inside you, transforming your life, making you into the person that it is intended for the Holy Spirit to do in your life. And as you are being transformed into the likeness of Christ, then you can do greater things than He has ever done. That's how it works. When you are sensitive, when you have a knowledge of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you are sensitive to how the Holy Spirit wants to use you. The loss of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit has been the hindrance of the church of the 21st century. Nothing is impossible for God. It is within our grasp to be able to do these things. And here is the conclusion. Because I want to pray for you. So you won't mess up like I did. Here it is. The characteristics of the Holy Spirit is purity and power. First purity and then power. We have been lopsided. We go looking for power and no purity. A church that has no power or a believer that has no power is because there is no purity. Because when there is purity, I'm talking about holiness. I'm talking about letting the Holy Spirit telling us what is right and what is wrong, not what you pragmatically think is right and wrong. But the Holy Spirit telling us what is evil and what is good. What is that we must abstain from and what is what we must receive. But we live in a time that is referred to post-Christianity. And the thinking of a post-Christian is this. I'm only interested in what I can get out of Christianity, not interested where it can take me eternally. So the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is first, let's get you clean. Let me work in you. Let me deal with your fears. Let me deal with your doubts. Let me deal with your bitterness. Let me deal with, with, your, with your insecurities. Let me deal with your anger. Let me deal with those things. And as I continue to work in you and continue to pure, make you pure, then the power that is the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work through you so that it can help others. The characteristics of the Holy Spirit, I repeat, is purity and power. We must experience within us an ungrieving in our private lives before we can anticipate an outward demonstration of His power. I told the Spanish church the other day, several months ago, the reason we have no compassion the reason there is a lack of compassion is because we do not hate sin. And the reason we do not hate sin is because we do not hate sin in our lives. When we hate sin in our lives, we will hate sin. 
And when we hate sin, we will see the destructive power that sin has towards others. So the Holy Spirit has a way of making us aware of our sinfulness until we become ungrieved. In other words, until we become to a point that we stop grieving the Holy Spirit. We've got to come to a place that we say enough is enough of grieving the Holy Spirit with my life. Until we come to that place, there will be no power. Bottom line, until there is repentance in our hearts for our sins, there will not be any anticipation of an outward demonstration of his power. I'm talking about crying to God. I am a sinner, Lord. I fall short of the glory of God. I offend you with my sins. And I repent today. I repent of my wicked ways. I repent. I repent. And when we find ourselves in personal repentance, we realize then the judge, what hangs over the world, and we begin to cry out to God and say to Him, God, have mercy. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. The way to power and more anointing is by being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The way to power and more anointing is by being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It is said that Benny Hinn wrote a book in the year 2000 entitled Good Morning Holy Spirit. In that book, he shares with us his encounter with the Holy Spirit. He says he's 21 years old. And unwaiting, he was not waiting or say he wasn't. All he knows is that the Holy Spirit came into his room. And he had an encounter. But in his book, he writes about a time that a friend invites him to a meeting, a healing meeting 
a revival with Catherine Coleman. He said he had to push himself in to the service because people were there four or five hours before the service even started. He said, I was very fortunate that I was small, and so he pushed his way in. He said in the service, he experienced for the very first time something that he had never experienced in that service. He said that all of a sudden, Catherine Coleman began to sob. They had never seen her like that. They had never witnessed her sobbing that profoundly. That she stopped praying for people and then she just began to sob and sob and sob and sob and sob and cry. People remained quiet. Didn't understand what she was sobbing about. Until she finally was able to say a few words. She said, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. The Holy Spirit descended and remained on Jesus. Tells us Three very important things. Number one, the person of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was in mutual adjustment or aligned to Him. The Holy Spirit remains, remained over Jesus because Jesus made the adjustments to remain. To remain, that the Holy Spirit may remain with him. Whatever adjustments, we can learn from that. When the Holy Spirit is ungrieved in our souls, we begin to manifest, we begin to manifest his personality. That is called the fruit of the Spirit. 
And when the Holy Spirit remains and we do not unquench the Holy Spirit, we manifest His power. To stay in the flow of God's direction in 2016, hear what I have to tell you. That at the strike of midnight, heaven will open and the weight of His glory will begin to descend upon His church. But only those that remain sensitive Remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit will find direction for the next decade. Because it's not only next year we need to be concerned about. I'm telling you, it's about the next 10 years. But I'm here to tell you, fear not. Because if the Holy Spirit remains on you, you will navigate through the storm. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't remain on you, you will be among those that will shipwreck. I'm not here to put any fear on you. I'm simply here to say what Jesus said. My sheep know my voice, and they hear it, and they obey it.